0: The following Dharma talk was given by monastic Shoan Ankele at Zen Mountain Monastery. Shoan is a Dharma holder in the Mountains and Rivers Order. This talk, like all of our talks, is given free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmm.org. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone at home. Good morning, snow. <laughs> um, that, that piece of dedication that comes at the end of the Heart Sutra that is um, relatively new within our Sangha liturgy, we bow. In deep respect to Prajna Paramita, mother of all Buddhas, wisdom beyond wisdom. She illuminates all delusion and dispels our fears. I was watching some. Um, sort of video clips that I took of my family on a recent gathering. And um, in one of them, my nephew, Miles, had just taken a fall. We were racing. We were racing. And we were going so fast. And he just thunk, fell over and um, you know had that sort of little kid moment of like, and then the, the breakdown. <laughs> The pause and then the breakdown, and the video clip is actually a clip of his mom, um, my brother's partner, just holding him and like rubbing his back, and I was thinking of um, you know we. We often use the metaphor of the sword. For wisdom, like Manjushri's sword, it like cuts through our delusion. Or. Um, the Prajnaparamita scriptures, you know, the Diamond Sutra is the diamond cutting, the diamond cutter sutra, the diamond so sharp, so hard it will cut through your delusion. This is wisdom. And then, really, kind of appreciating the other um, manifestation and embodiment that comes out in, in this liturgy of um, Prajnaparamita. The mother illuminating your delusion, dispelling your fears. Can we allow for the possibility that this um, wisdom path, this waking up, this liberation, uh, there's, there's so much fear, right, in our human experience. There's so much fear. Can we also allow for the fact that, like, this wisdom can, like, hold us in our fear? It's actually something we can rely upon, be um, cradled by our own wisdom. So that's what I wanted to explore. Recently, at a uh, Resident Beyond Fear of Differences meeting, we um, uh, watched a video of the poet Joy Harjo, who's uh, the US Poet Laureate until quite recently, um, uh, giving a reading of her poem to get rid of fear. And it wasn't really a reading. It was an embodied um, sharing, offering. and. Um, she starts it, I release you. First, she starts it by saying, this is a poem to get rid of fear, and it works. I have before and after pictures. <laughs> and then she, um, she offers this, this poem. And it begins, I release you, my beautiful and terrible fear. I release you. It's really hitting me. Yeah. So, um... This, this idea that we can release our fear. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> wow, totally having a whole experience up here, yeah. <laughs> Okay. Um, Can we, like, do kin-hin or something? Yeah. (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Bear with me. Um, Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's see. So I guess, um, you know, there are times when, of course, we have fear. Uh, And, you know, people say, like, fear is a healthy response to like certain situations where you're in danger, fear like helps you like get out of there. But, um, but then, you know, it's like, I feel like in, in Joy Harjo's poem where she, where she goes with it is um, kind of like, here, I'll, I'll, I'll go to the end. I can't really get through the whole poem right now. We're just gonna go to the end. You can look it up later online, okay? <laughs> <clears throat> So she says, um, oh, you have choked me, but I gave you the leash. You have gutted me, but I gave you the knife. You have devoured me, but I laid myself across the fire. I take myself back, fear. so like we learn how to do this it's like a real thing it's like a real thing and when i think about like liberation right it sounds like a lofty word and then we encounter ourselves on the cushion and we're told like okay this this is the practice and this is the path of liberation and it's like so gritty and so uncomfortable and so like not lofty at all, we think, am I doing this right? I'm not sure if I'm practicing correctly, like my mind is filled with thoughts, or I'm having all these feelings and I can't seem to settle myself. It's like, we think like I'm supposed to be having some other lofty experience. No. No. Even though we're like sitting like Buddhas, like tucked up in our robes. There's a lot of, ah. Facing, encountering, feeling into, processing, digesting, letting go, not letting go, grasping, being flattened. That is all there on the path of liberation. It doesn't mean we're doing it wrong at all. It means we're doing it. We're doing it and it's not gonna be a weekend, take care of it all in one like great experience kind of thing. It's gonna be a lifetime. But it's for real. It is for real. The kinds of fear that arise when the threat is just in our mind, right? When it's not the, uh, the, the actual menace from outside. We start to get to know it. Our fear of losing control. And again, it's like the words sound like, oh yeah, I'm afraid of losing control. But when we're the one who's sitting there Afraid of losing control? It's fucking intense. Right? We're afraid of feeling our feelings. So raw. So painful. Abandonment not belonging, not being good enough, not worthy, no good, broken. So painful. You have to go through it. You have to go through it. You cannot go around. But the thing is that at the same time we're cultivating our wisdom eye, and we're seeing that those exact feelings Abandonment, not belonging, worthless, broken. We are seeing their, what are they? Where do they exist? That's the prajna. That's the insight. That's the mother of all Buddhas coming in, actually, to comfort us. We say it's empty. Again, another word, what does that mean, actually? The self is empty. What does that mean, actually? Well, sometimes it sounds scary we can actually encounter more fear in the midst of trying to deal with our fear because we think like, oh, empty. Ooh, that sounds kind of depressing. I remember as a kid going, um, looking at real estate with my aunt, who was like, they were buying a new house. And um, I thought it sounded fun. So I came along and we were like looking at homes in some New Jersey suburbs and There was, uh, there was a, we looked at like, there was this big house, really, I guess kind of a beautiful house, but it was, um, you know, the family had moved out, there was no furniture, big windows, kind of cold, and then um, we looked at this other house where they hadn't moved out yet, and there was like clutter on the dining room table, and the heat was cranked up, and there was like dog hair on the couch, and and, uh, you know, smaller, darker. And so at the end of the uh, excursion, my aunt was like, so, you know, which, which, which house do you think we should get? And I said, you know, the small one with the clutter and the dog hair. <laughs> and she was like, uh, you know, it was like clearly like not as nice of a place, I guess. It was clear to her. And I, I, I said, well, the other one was so like big and empty and cold and, and, uh, you know, she she had to, like, explain, like, you would put furniture in it, and so on and so forth. <laughs> but I just thought, um, like, that's, you know, that feeling state of, like, oh, like, I don't want to live there. Like, we might think that. We might actually hear a word, like, you're empty. All phenomena is empty. And think, like, oh, that, that sounds, like, actually... Not so good. So we're learning, like, what does that word mean? What does empty mean? What is the self is empty? Well, we start to see, uh, we're looking at that fear, looking closely. This is why the container of... um, Zazen or like the container of Sishin, we're just ending a week in Sishin today, can be so powerful because we're not going anywhere. That's the agreement, right? That's the containers. Like we take our seat and we're not going anywhere. And I mean, everybody, you know, sooner or later or maybe constantly feels like getting up and leaving. Really normal. But we don't, it's amazing that like doesn't happen It doesn't happen. We like give each other that, right? We stay, we sit with it. And it's only because of that, that we can start to see through, right? You think about like, of course, you know, take something like physical discomfort, it arises in our ordinary life. Always, you're gonna move, you're gonna shift, you're gonna change, you're gonna rearrange. In the context of zazen, we have this opportunity to see like, oh, there's another way to work with what's uncomfortable. And so the same thing is true about all of our feeling states. There's another way to work with them. We can just be present with them. And when we're present with them and we're not chasing after them and we're not trying to get rid of them and we're actually just spacious and awake, experiencing them, we start to see for ourselves what this word emptiness is pointing to. Words can't touch it. We say empty because it doesn't have a fixed being. When we're not creating it, when we release it, where is it? With fear, we see often we're protecting ourself. Almost always. Judy Leaf said, um, gasoline, no, the gasoline of the ego, of the self, is fear. Fear is running our sense of self. And our sense of self is generating fear at a subtle level, almost all the time. And so as we start to see into, you know, the empty nature of things, so we start with like the things arising in our mind and we start to work into, you know, it's like as we start to be able to see the empty nature of things, we begin to appreciate like, oh, this this has to be universally true. It's not just like there's a sort of a stream of dharmas that are empty and the other ones have self-existing nature. We, part of the wisdom is that we see like, oh no, it's, it has to be true for everything. And, and this too. And we can see into our own emptiness. And that can be scary because we invested so much in our sense of self. And so luckily, like, at least in my experience, this happens over time and you sort of like, you're in charge, so you're moving at your own pace. <laughs> you know, and, and even, even setting aside like sort of uh, the idea of having insight or, or, or seeing into the nature of just by being present, and not turning away, prajna is manifesting. That karma is being created, and that that you know, shunyata is the um, the, the Sanskrit word that is being translated as emptiness, or in earlier translations, often as voidness, and. Um, also sometimes you see like openness and spaciousness, which seem to be um, kind of softer renderings of what that word means. When, when Rebecca Lee was here, um, she's a Chan teacher and she was um, offering some, some teachings on the Platform Sutra and uh, you know, referring to the, the, the Chinese original um, because that's her, her mother tongue. And so afterwards I went to ask her um, like, what does what does shunyata translate into in Chinese? Like, we know it as emptiness. And she was like, yeah, emptiness. And I was like, well, isn't there another? And she was like, no, no, it's empty. It means empty. <laughs> <laughs> I was so disappointed. I was like waiting for the, yeah, I was, okay. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, you know, to, to also appreciate this, this doesn't mean that um, if we do kind of feel like, actually the void sounds really good, or that big, empty house without any furniture, actually, that is where I want to be, uh, we're out of luck. Because really, really what we, what we can start to see is that what this is pointing to is what Thich Nhat Han calls "interbeing." So things do exist, what a relief, right? We're not all just in a dream. I mean, we are (laughs) and we aren't. Things really do exist, but not in the way that we think. So in the Diamond Sutra, Early on. Um, so, let's see. This is Thich Nhat Hanh's translation. So Subhuti, one of the, the, the Buddha's foremost disciples, is, is asking the Buddha, if, if bodhisattvas want to wake up, what should they rely on and what should they do to master their thinking? And um, so this is like the big question, okay? If we want to wake up, what should we do, right? So you're going to the teacher, the Buddha, and you're like, okay, I'm on board. I want to be liberated. What what should I do? How should I master my thinking? And the Buddha said to Subuti, this is how the bodhisattvas master their thinking. However many species of living beings there are, whether born from eggs, from the womb, from moisture or spontaneously, whether they have form or do not have form, whether they have perceptions or do not have perceptions, or whether it cannot be said of them that they have perceptions or that they do not have perceptions, we must lead all these beings to the ultimate nirvana so that they can be liberated. And when this innumerable, immeasurable, infinite number of beings has become liberated, we do not in truth think that a single being has been liberated. Why is this so? If subhuti, a bodhisattva, holds on to the idea that a self, a person, a living being, or a lifespan exists, then that person is not an authentic bodhisattva. In Thich Nhat Hanh's commentary, he says, where is it? I think he says, this is a flash of lightning. This is the first flash of lightning. Yeah. Whoa. If we think that a self, a person, a living being, a lifespan, exists, we're not seeing clearly. So something exists. I'm here. You're there. What's going on? When we read in the Mahayana scriptures, like in the Lotus Sutra or or, um, some of the others, Uh, I'm thinking of the Lotus Sutra because we studied it so recently and and someone brought it up. Like those opening sort of super cosmic scenes that seem like so not Zen, like, whoa, Buddhas and worlds and like, you know, all these bodhisattvas and deities and so on and so forth, like emanating out and rainbows and so on and so forth, and we're like here in our neat black rose. (laughs) The sutra is trying to stretch language and our conceptual mind to like deliver what is going on. I remember in a Mondo um, a, a number of years ago, uh, you know, the, the, the teaching on no self was, was on the table and someone raised their hand and they were like, <laughs> Yeah, well, I just don't get like how it would be possible to function without a self. And um, I can't remember whether it was Shugen Roshi or Ryushin um, at that time, but one of them was like, well, it's happening right now. And the person was kind of like. (laughs) 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 Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it was also very beautiful because Ryu and Shugen at that moment exchanged a laugh. So you're like, okay, they're definitely like, it's happening right now. (laughs) (laughs) We're all functioning perfectly without selves. Yes. Yes. It is cosmic. The Dharma is cosmic. That is why the Lotus Sutra starts out like that. Huayan Buddhism, which is um, the flower garland school, it arose in ancient China, and there the teaching of emptiness was really explicitly sort of rolled out as interdependence, interbeing, um, the interpenetration of all phenomena. And that has the Huayan school had a direct influence on Chan and the Zen school um, and in the teachings. And one of the things that is attributed to the Huayan school, which we see so much within the Zen school, is this appreciation for all phenomena as um, intrinsically perfect and sacred the grasses, the snowflakes, not separate. Right? Dogen Zenji saying, when the 10,000 things advance and realize the self, that's enlightenment. Not when the self tries to advance and realize the 10,000 things. So when the Diamond Sutra says you are not a being, there's no person here, it means not, not how you see it, not separate. And we touch this all the time, because it's true. We touch it all the time. The way that we are um, impacted, our experience changes, right? That's another thing we see sitting still, just how our experience changes moment to moment, how it's impacted, by um, the slightest thing sometimes. The slightest thing comes and our spirits sink or a boost in little ways. Big things come, our whole sense of self gets turned and wrapped, which is why what we say and do matters. We're impacting each other all the time. The teaching on just be kind, right? Somebody asked the Dalai Lama, like, what does it all come down to? And he said, kindness. And so we begin to see that although we are not in control, we have incredible power. That's why we can liberate ourselves. All the way along, all the way along, we have this incredible power. To sit there and let yourself experience hardship without getting up is a manifestation of your incredible power. To be hurt, have your feelings hurt, and work through it, processing within and maybe with others is a manifestation of your incredible power. To be the one that hurts the feelings and then apologize, come forward, be humble, vulnerable. Own it, uncomfortable as it may be, is a manifestation of your incredible power. Please look closely so that you see that. It would be a shame to live this life and not know that for yourself. So we train. We train in coming into contact with, more deeply understanding, and ultimately manifesting and actualizing our incredible power, this mind. And perhaps the ultimate manifestation of this incredible power comes in vow. When we form an intention, and then let it be our guide. The bodhisattva vows are all basically teachings on how not to be stopped by our fear. I mean, that's one way you could look at them. And that tension that arises in them where they seem, you know, impossible just gives us a point of entry. If it seems impossible, we're probably thinking about it. And of course, the invitation is to practice it. To liberate all beings. Like, what a vow. Yeah, if we think about it, it sounds, uh, I don't, you know, certainly impossible. Maybe kind of even like, um, I don't know, crazy or depressing or like beside the point or I don't know. But but uh, to take it in and not worry about the um, meaning, but to feel the energy, to let the energy of that intent to liberate all beings, meaning to enable all beings to cross to the shore of freedom. And of course, it's, it's, it's a uh, teaching on our own practice and our own liberation. And a vow means that even when it seems impossible, we're not stopped by that. That we can live within the space where we actually don't know what's possible and what's not possible. That's not our concern. This is what it means to trust ourselves. To trust the process, to trust the Dharma, that we don't give up on ourselves and we don't give up on anyone else either. There's no self after all, meaning nobody's fixed, everything's constantly arising due to causes and conditions, dependent origination. This is the core of what the Buddha saw. We see it. That's emptiness, dependent origination, which means everything is affected by everything else, which means everything is workable, and we have no business saying it's impossible to save all beings. So then we get to actually manifest our life in accord with a vow like that. Moment to moment, it's always moment to moment. Reality is always here now. It's just what's in front of you. And larger choices, we have to make larger choices too. So I think about, you know, our sangha. (laughs) And um, what does it mean when we say, realize the Buddha way together? What does that mean? What does it mean to practice bodhisattva vow in community? What a live edge to be working with together. (laughs) There's been talk lately of like, oh, our Sangha needs to do work around gender. Our Sangha needs to do work around patriarchy. Men in our Sangha need to do some work. And I can feel in myself fear arising. What is that? It's like, oh God, this is gonna get uncomfortable. (laughs) People are gonna get angry, have feelings of anger arise, feelings of defensiveness arise, shutting down, numbing out, all of it arising. But we're in a Buddha field. We've made a commitment. There's no other way we have to go through and so like it's like becomes like this beautiful opportunity for like how do we do this how does vulnerability manifest how does having a voice and being powerful manifest how do we like make room for each other and not lock anyone in a box cuz guess what there's no self So we get to actually be in the field where like we don't know. Where each of us doesn't even know fully ourselves we're manifesting. We're doing it together. That's fearlessness arising. Thich Nhat Han at one point said the Bodhisattva of the the Buddha of the future, the future Buddha, Maitreya Buddha, would be the Sangha. And I think about that, like, wow, what was he seeing? Sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, I think he saw something that's coming into being. So like Prajna Paramita, we're going to manifest her together, we're going to get to be there together, illuminating delusion, dispelling fear. Sangha is empty. just always arising interdependently. Yes. That is good news. Let yourself be caught. When you're falling, let the Sangha catch you. And when you see someone else falling, you hold out your arms. Thank you for listening. To find out more about ZMM's programs, retreats and residency, please visit us online at zmm.org.